Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Mission Church. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Happy New Year to everybody. Listen, I really believe God has something special in mind for us this morning. But before we go any further, um, I, I am so encouraged by everything that I hear happening both in you and through you. And way to go, just hanging through this last year. This year is gonna be incredible, so keep plugging in, stay connected. But I wanna take a moment just to say thank you and to honor your pastors. Now, you probably see a lot of guest speakers do this, but let me just tell you, I think honor is way more uh, for the person that's giving it than for the person that's receiving it. Because it keeps our hearts grateful, it keeps our hearts thankful, it keeps a spirit of gratitude on the inside of us and an appreciation for the gifts that God has given us. And can I just tell you that you definitely have a gift in both of your pastors, Pastor Tyler, Pastor Rachel. Uh, they're a gift to you, but they're also a gift to me. And so today we honor you, we celebrate you. If you're in your house right now, stand up, just clap your hands. It may feel a little bit weird, but just do it anyways. Um, but I just wanna say we're so grateful for your friendship, for your leadership. Thank you for loving Jesus, for really following Jesus. And uh, just your life says enough, your encouragement, your generosity, um, your heart for people, your love for the Lord. I just love you guys so much. Your friendship means the world to me. And uh, thank you for having me here. I, I wanna talk to you a little bit around this idea of let's dig again. Let's dig again. Shout at your TV, let's dig again. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just pray you'd speak to us in a real way. Change us from the inside out so that we're never the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I, I want to talk to you first about revival. Like, like it, it's, a, it's a kind of a churchy word, but it just simply means that when God revives something, he takes something that's dead and he brings it back to life. And throughout history, we've seen God move in some incredible ways. Like, let me take you back to the 1700s and 1800s with a man by the name of Charles Finney. This guy loved the Lord, walked deeply with Jesus. In fact, there was a time where he showed up in New York City at a manufacturing plant. His brother was a superintendent. And as he showed up on the scene, people started to get a little bit agitated. Nobody knew what was happening. And as he walked through the manufacturing plant, as he got about 10 feet from these women, they fell to their knees and began to cry out to Jesus because there was so much conviction as a result of the presence of God that was so rich on this man's life. The, the owner of the facility, he wasn't even saved. He, he said, listen, we, we got to like, have a church service. Can you preach to us? So Charles Finney preached and a little revival happened. People got saved. It was incredible. Now, let me take you to... The early 1900s, there was a man by the name of William J. Seymour led what was called the Azusa Street Revival. It just started off as a little prayer meeting inside of a house, and they took it out on the porch because people started flooding the streets. The porch was so crowded that it caved in, crazy. So they had to take um, their prayer times to this little mission, no pun intended, right? Uh, to this mission where there was dirt floors, a broken down wooden altar, but the presence of God was there and people started getting saved, healed, incredible. They say that the Azusa Street Revival, that as a result of that, about 600 million people have come to know Jesus. Come on, that's incredible. Now let me take you to the Hebrides. These are some islands off of the land of Scotland and there was two older women that 
uh, were in their 80s and they were so uh, disheartened that there was no young people in their church. So they started to pray. And they, they picked a specific time every day and just started to go for it. And not only did thousands of young people get saved, but God started to move in the streets, in their regions. I mean, people would come out in their front yard and just fall to their face again, crying out to God, repenting, overwhelmed by his goodness, his majesty, his beauty, conviction. I mean, just incredible what happened in the Hebrides. And then we go to the Welsh Revival. Now, this is a picture, maybe a little hard to see, but this is tons of people reaching out and just crying out to God. There was a man in his 20s by the name of Evan Roberts that had been praying for revival in his land since he was 15 years old. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, bend me, and would you give me 100,000 souls? Well, during the Welsh Revival, in about five months, over 150,000 people got saved. Bars started closing. Police stations were closing. Uh, their World Cup, their soccer main event, didn't even happen that year. In the books, in the history books, it just says revival. <laughs> Incredible. But, but this is probably one of my favorites. Happened in 1857 in New York City, right here in the U.S. Every, uh, uh, everybody in the nation was kind of in turmoil. There was a lot of division over slavery. Uh, there was about 30,000 men in the streets looking for work. The economy was taken. The stock market plummeted. And there was one business guy that when his church went out to the suburbs, he stayed in the city. He just had a heart for the city. And he started to, you know, try to evangelize and talk to people about Jesus. Nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. So one lady or one person asked him, they said, hey, have you tried to just pray and see what God wants to do? He was like, man, that's a good idea. So that's exactly what he did. He said, I'm going to host a little prayer meeting. He passed out invites and, uh, and he shows up to the prayer meeting and it's only him. And then five more people come in. But that five turned into 10,000 all the way. Uh, it began to multiply to such a degree that New York City shut down at 12 p.m. lunchtime for prayer. And it began to permeate our nation. People were getting saved by the thousands. They said about a million people got saved throughout the United States as a result of, of this revival. God bringing dead things back to life. And, and then they started to send out missionaries to China and India and Korea. And now there's 50,000 churches in Korea. I think there's about 13 million Christians. And they send out the most missionaries than any other country in the world. Just incredible. Think about what God has done. But here's my question. Is do you believe God could do that today? Like, do you believe that could happen today? See, when revival comes, God brings dead things back to life. But, but it starts with you and I. It starts with you and I coming to know Jesus. It starts with salvation, where God places his spirit on the inside of us, saves us from our sin and the wrath of God to come, begins to, to totally change our life. And then we move from salvation, and God begins to uh, lead us into this place of restoration. And this is where God begins to heal our heart. Uh, we start to forgive maybe some of those that have wounded us, and God is healing some of the stuff from the past, and He's just renewing or restoring things in our heart and in our lives. And then we kind of move from restoration to transformation. This is the process of revival. Let me, I'm just breaking it down for you. Uh, now, transformation is where, you know, we start to become really aware of God's word. Uh, we start to be mindful of our sin. We're kind of wrestling through some of our old ways and habits. We don't want to live like that anymore, but we're struggling. And God is renewing and transforming our mind. And then we move from transformation, we move to renewal. 
And renewal is where the church starts to take off. I mean, the church starts to grow. People are getting saved. It's amazing. But it doesn't stop there. And from renewal, we transition to revival. Now, a lot of times we get revival and renewal a little bit confused. Um, but revival is like an accelerated renewal, meaning the amount of people that got saved 20, you know, in the last 20 years are now getting saved in two weeks. I mean, just, just amazing of God reviving hearts, minds, cities, lands, nations. And then we go from renewal or we go from revival to awakening. And that's what we see in some of these places that I just talked to you about from Los Angeles to New York to the Hebrides to, to, to the Welsh Revival. It's where, it's where it starts to pour out from the church into the streets, into the land where, where an entire region or even nation is transformed by the presence of God and by the gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know that these guys that we just talked about, in all of these revivals, they didn't do anything new. In fact, they just dug up some things of old. It reminds me of Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. It says, and Isaac dug again the wells which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. See, there was a famine in the land. There was death all around him. But, but Isaac saw and recognized his hereditary right and responsibility to redig and to restore these ancient wells of his father, Abraham. And, and I got to say, the, the Philistines, we see, would always stop up the wells, right? The enemy loves to stop the flow, loves to keep the water from flowing because where there's water, there's life. Jesus said it like this, he who believes in me, it'll be like a, a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter four, he said that if you drink this water, you're gonna be thirsty again. But if you drink the water I give you, if you drink from me, you're never gonna thirst again. Water, there, there's always life where there's water. And so in this ancient culture, the water rights were huge. And if you could stop up the water, you can create a lot of death. If you controlled the water though, man, you had some authority. You had some power, right? You could grow crops, you could take care of your herds, you had influence. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, Peter refers to the godless as being wells with no water. And see, where there's water, there's life. Pastor Dave Patterson, I love the way that he says it. He's one of my pastors. I know you guys are familiar with him too. Um, he says that he who has the water, again, has the authority. And see, I believe today that God wants to do a new thing in an old way. You see, these past revivals, they didn't really do anything new. They just dug up some things of, the, of old. Now, now Isaac, he would go on to dig some new wells of his own, but first he had to dig up some old ones. God was gonna do some new things, but first he had to dig up some old ones. So we don't live in the past, but we, we, we can totally learn from it. And so I believe that God wants to, to lead us down some ancient paths. See, these past revivals that we look at, they just dug up some old wells, some old wells of waiting and tearing with God, some old wells of humility and meekness, purity and devotion, some old wells of seeking a move of the Holy Spirit, being devoted to God's word. But one of the things that you see in all of these revivals, they were all marked by prayer and intercession. Prayer. And I believe that that prayer is the, one of the primary tools that God uses to dig up wells, to release the water. And so, so I, I want you to understand that when water is released 
man, it changes atmospheres. Like, you know, when you're super thirsty and, and you get some water, oh, man, it's just, it's so refreshing. And I just believe that God wants to bring some refreshing this year to our marriages. God wants to bring some refreshing to this fight for our purity if you're single and, and you've just kind of been wrestling, you're waiting. You're living in the tension of waiting for the result of that or that person to come, but not forgetting that God has purpose for you right now, that, that God wants to refresh our cities. He wants to refresh our homes, our hearts, our kids. God wants times of refreshing, but here's the deal. If we're not praying, we'll stop digging. I'm telling you, prayer is the primary digging tool that releases the water. If we stop praying, we stop digging. And then we find ourselves giving in to all the other aims. We stop digging, we start complaining, we start fighting, we start grumbling, right? We start fearing, we start worrying. So I wanna invite you to dig Dig with me again. And, and, and I think a great picture of this is, is a man by the name of Gideon found in the Old Testament. Now, let me give you some context of the generation he was living in. It says in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. In other words, the enemy, Satan, the devil, clogged up the wells. Right? They, they, they lost their sight. They didn't know God. They didn't know the things that he's done. And as a result of losing their sight, this is going to sound corny and cliche, but it's true. They lost their fight. They stopped digging and they started settling. And God has never called us to settle. And the enemy's going to do whatever he can to try to fill the wells. And what did they do? They, they turned and they worshiped Baals. Baal was the, the God or the false God of, of fertility, a promise of fruitfulness, but couldn't deliver. And then they were overwhelmed by the Midianites. God gave them over to the Midianites because they started to worship idols and Baals and false gods. And the Midianites would come and just pillage the people of Israel. I mean, if they grew a crop, they would take it. And, and so you see this, this sense of because they weren't digging, they, they kind of lost their fight. And Gideon gives us a little bit more insight here. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orphrah that belonged to Joash the Abrazite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is found in Judges chapter six. See, when we lose sight of what God has done and who he is, we start to get weird. I mean, he was threshing wheat, which you would normally do on a cliffside because you need wind uh, to blow away the shaft so the grain would fall. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, yet there's no grapes to produce wine. I want you to think about this for a minute, because I really believe this is a word for somebody today. As the Lord would invite us and the Lord would say, why are you settling for empty wells when I've called you to dig up full ones? You see, Gideon was in a wine press in this ancient culture. It was a proverbial hole in the ground. That, that's, where the wine, that's what a wine press was. And so here he's trying to thresh wheat where there's no wind and he's in a wine press where there's no wine and where there's no wine. And I just, I really sense the, the Lord say, listen, we, we, we should not settle for a life and to be a church where there's no wind and there's no wine. See, wind always was a representation in scripture as the power of the Holy Spirit moving and wine outside of drunkenness was always a symbol of joy. 
And so I think when the church, man, if we're living in such a state where there's no power and there's no joy, it's a little bit weird. <laughs> because that's exactly what God has for us. That's the life that God has called us to, a life of power and a life of joy. God's like, I have so much more for you. And so Gideon, man, he's wrestling through this. And he said, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord was with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors talked about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned him to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I am sending you. You know, I think the temptation in the time that we're living in right now is just say, God, why is all this happening? Rather than seeking him and saying, God, what do you want to do and how do you want to use me? I mean, you look at Gideon, you can see there's a lack of faith. You can see there's really no belief and it kind of has him stuck and paralyzed. He's not digging, he's hiding. And, and, and I love what the Lord says. He doesn't even reply to him. He just says, take what you got and follow me. Can I just encourage you today? Take what you got and follow him. God was saying, listen, left to yourself, you're gonna be in trouble. But with me, you got everything you need. Take what you got and follow me. Take what you have left of your marriage and follow him. Take what you have left of your purity and follow him. Take what you have left of your strength, of your mental and emotional capacity and follow him. Take what you have left of your calling and your purpose and follow him. Take what you got. God can use that and follow him and watch what the Lord will do. And so the first thing he had Gideon do, he said, Gideon, you got to tear down all these idols, all of these, you know, altars to Baal. You got to tear all of this stuff that has formally captivated your focus. You got to get rid of all the stuff that's captivated your time, your effort, your energy. Get rid of all of it. And Gideon did, and he built a new altar. And I believe that God is inviting us to the same, that there's some things that have captured our hearts, our minds, that, that have, have really just uh, kind of enamored us and is getting the very best of us. And God's like, listen, I have something so much better in store, but I believe it starts with prayer. I believe it starts with a conversation, just like Gideon. That's what prayer is, a conversation with God. All Gideon is doing here is having a conversation with God. It starts with prayer, and God begins to remind us of who he is. God begins to encourage us of all that he has in store for us, but God also reveals the idols that we put before him. And God's like, man, I, I have something so much better. They promise fertility, but they can't deliver. God is inviting us to dig again. God is inviting Gideon to dig again. Now, now, you may be sitting down right now and you're like, man, yes, I, need to, I want to pray more. Like, and maybe your prayer life is great and you want to take it to the next level now. You're looking at revivals. You're just excited. You're inspired. But let me bring it a little bit more practical because I think right now I've done a couple of things. And I saw Whit George use this, this illustration. It's called, it's called Bloom's Process of Change. Bloom was a, uh, is a psychologist. And I, I think you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're gonna love this. So right now I've kind of bringing some awareness to the reality of revival and what the possibilities of what can happen when God's people start to pray. And, and, and now you're starting to ponder a little bit like what would happen if we started to pray? If we really started to dig again, like what type of water, like what type of refreshing would be released? And, and you're starting to get excited. And, and we start to move from awareness to pondering to, to valuing. Like, man, I see the value in that. I think we really need to pray. Like, yeah, let's pray. Let's do it. Let's dig. 
But then a lot of times we're faced with a gap. We're faced with a gap. And so we never prioritize it, meaning it never gets on the schedule. And then we never own it, meaning it's not even on the schedule anymore. It's just the way that we live our life. And I think if we're not careful, we could, we could be in this place where, yeah, I value prayer, but we never get to prioritizing prayer. Because like Gideon, there's some things that have captured our focus. And I think there's one idol in our day that God really wants to, God wants us to tear it down. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It's the idol of distraction. It's the idol of distraction. I mean, we are so connected in the time that we're living in. Like before this digital age that we're in right now, our attention span was 12 seconds. Now it's eight seconds. And, and I'm not a hater on technology. I love it. We're using it right now. It's awesome. But, but I want you to see this. Our attention span used to be 12 seconds. Now it's eight seconds. You know how much uh, of an attention span that a goldfish has? Nine seconds. <laughs> like, like we're losing to the goldfish, ladies and gentlemen. Like this, this is a big deal. But there's thousands of apps and devices that are designed to capture our affection, to keep our attention, to keep our focus. A lot of times we think that in the technology world that we're purchasing a product, when in reality they see us as the product. They see our attention and our time as a product, because if they can keep our attention, they can get our money. And, and we all experience the distraction of the endless scroll. Or we turn on the news and everything is breaking news. You notice that? Everything is breaking news. Back in the day, it was like once in a while, breaking news. Now, every five minutes, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Everything, because they're just trying to keep our attention. You know, we've said that Silicon Valley, some of the executives out there um, work really hard to keep their kids in device-free schools. Why? I don't know. Maybe they know something we don't. But, but there's, there's a sense of, man, we are becoming more and more distracted. I mean, you look at our cell phones. This is, this is a huge deal, right? Uh, we touch our phones. The average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. That's two and a half hours a day that we touch our phones. But here's why we don't recognize it. Because statistics show that it's over 26 engagements. So it's just small little engagements. So it doesn't feel like two hour and a half hours at one time. It's just small engagements, 26 engagements over the period of the day that we start to engage. They said the millennials, two times that. But, but it's kind of like um, there was a study on, on slot machines. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but slot machines make more money than the film industry and baseball combined. And the reason is, is people are putting a little bit at a time. They don't feel like it's a lot, but over a long period of time, small amounts, huge money. And so I would propose that we are addicted to small amounts of distraction continually throughout the day. They, they say right now that we're living in an attention economy. Again, if they can keep our attention, they can get our money. And it's, studies have shown, man, it's re reducing our memory, it's affecting our problem solving, but more importantly, I think it's, it's affecting us spiritually. And it's keeping us many times from digging. And I believe that God has so much more for us. There was a famous philosopher and theologian named Blaise Pascal, and this is what he said. He says, being unable to cure death, wretchedness, and misery, men have decided in order to be happy not to think about such things. Meaning, let me just live distracted from reality. And this is how a lot of people live. I, I don't want to deal with my life. I don't want to deal with my marriage. I don't want to deal with the things that I know God wants me to deal with. It can be so easy just to live distracted from reality. Because it's, it's, it's too painful to deal with life. It's too painful to look at certain things. But can I just tell you, living distracted, it also leads to disappointment. 
Because we find ourselves, the things that we really value, we find ourselves distracted from. We look at our kids. I remember my first two years of planting the church, I look back and I'm like, where did that go? I look at my kids sometimes and I'm like, I don't even remember that memory because I was there, but I wasn't present. It's just so easy and we, and we start to feel the sense of disappointment and, and, and maybe we look at our marriage and we're like, man, where is time gone and, and, and our career and our calling, maybe we've been lagging or we've been afraid to step out and so a lot of time has passed or we find ourselves living in sin and, and, and on the other side of that, we're just disappointed because we know that our relationship with God is valuable to us. We don't wanna live like that and if we're not careful, ladies and gentlemen, can I just invite you to bring your disappointment to the Lord? And let him refresh you, let him restore you, because the temptation is this. The temptation is the, the disappointment that we experience from distraction only leads us to more distraction of not wanting to deal with reality. But scripture deals with it completely different. In fact, uh, we see that it's, the, it's in the place of prayer that we can confront realities, that we can confront some of these idols, that we can confront some of these distractions and let God heal us and restore us so we can get God's best. For example, the psalmist says in Psalm 39, verse four, Lord, remind me of how brief my time is on earth. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. I mean, think about this. This is a prayer. They're digging. They're digging a well. And they're saying, Lord, I, I want to look at the reality of where my time is going. Like, where is my time going? Is my, pri is my prioritizing? Am I prioritizing the things that I say I value? right? Digging up some wells of wisdom, right? Looking at, looking at our time in the face, not being distracted. Another prayer from the Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. This gets deep. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Like, I want you to know my heart. The Bible says, guard your heart above all things, for it is the wellspring of life. It says, know my heart and test me. They're going deep. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. This word anxious, it means to be pulled about in a multiplicity of directions. It means to be distraction, distracted. The same type of distraction that Martha and Mary, uh, that Martha experienced uh, in the New Testament, it says that she was worried about so many things and it kept her from what? It kept her from digging. It kept her from sitting at the feet of Jesus like her sister was. You go back and read that story, it's good. But he says, now point out anything on the inside of me that offends you. Like, I want to know, God. I want to look at my life through the lens of reality. I, I want to I look at my life through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of how you say life is best lived. And just point out to me if there's anything inside of me that offends you. And look what the psalmist says, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Like, I pointed out, let me deal with it because I know that you have the path of life, digging up wells of repentance. A lot of times repentance gets such a bad word, it, it, it's become such a bad word in the church, but you know what Peter equates repentance with? Refreshing. He said, man, let, 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 let us have moments of repentance that times of refreshing would come to our soul. Repentance, wells of repentance equals refreshing. But, but God's gonna have us dig some wells, not just for us. But God's going to have us, listen, in prayer, God is going to reveal that, that there are some wells, there's some water that he wants to use you to dig a well so that, so that others can drink. Uh, I remember there was a, a day, I just got done preaching a few services, and there was a day that uh, this woman came up to me and she was crying right after service. She said, my, my friend has stage four cancer for the third time. 
And my heart just broke and, and we prayed and it was a long day. I was a little bit exhausted. And uh, after that, we, we went out to eat uh, with our family and we went to Tippanyaki, love Japanese food, you know, where you sit uh, in the restaurant and other families join you and they cook in front of you. So we went out that night to Tippanyaki and I remember just telling the Lord, I don't wanna talk to anybody. I just wanna eat, go home, I'm exhausted. So we sit down at the table and I just feel the Lord is stirring my heart. And so I just take a moment and I pray, Lord, what do you want me to see? Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, I want you to talk to the family. So I started up conversation. I noticed that they had some uh, baseball apparel from a, a baseball, a high school baseball team in our city. And so I said, hey, you guys, you know, are you guys familiar with Amador baseball? They're like, yeah, we, our sons play for Amador. And I said, oh, there's a, there's a, a couple in the church, in our church, that uh, their, their kids play uh, for Amador as well. I said, you know, I'm their pastor. And, and so they said, well, what's their names? And I, I gave the names and, and I, she, they said, you're, you're their pastor? And I said, yeah, I'm their pastor. And the woman's face got so pale and they all just stared at me. And I was like, I'm not gonna take an offering. Like, <laughs> we're eating, like, what's wrong? And she said, you're their pastor? I said, yeah, I'm their pastor. She says, you've been praying for me. She said, I'm the woman with cancer. And I'm like, what? I'm so grateful in that moment that I took a moment to dig. I just took a moment to pray, just a simple prayer to say, Lord, what do you, what do you, want, me to, what do you want me to do? And can I just tell you, she got to drink that day. She, it refreshed her soul. She was reminded that day that God had not forgotten about her. She gave her life to Jesus. She died of cancer. When she died, her husband came to me. He said, man, she requests that you do her funeral. And I got to preach the gospel to over 700 people. Can I just tell you, God is going to prompt you and urge you to dig some wells that, that aren't even for you, but for others to drink. And it started in a simple moment of prayer. And so, so Peter kind of lands, helps us land the, plane, land the plane a little bit. He says, the end of all things is near. And what Peter's saying is Jesus isn't necessarily coming back tomorrow, but he said the stage is set. I want you to get your eyes on eternity. I, I want you to see the reality of Christ's return. That, that, that Christ has come, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, poured out his spirit. Peter was saying the only thing left is for him to return. So I want you to get your eyes upward. I, I want you to, to, to focus on eternity. Why? He goes on to say, as a result of that, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. What Peter's saying is, be alert. Like, don't be swept away by emotions or passions. Keep an eternal perspective on life. Live a life that's balanced and moderate. We live in a very polarizing world right now. People are going this way and being, you're being pulled this way. And Peter's like, no, 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 stay focused. Be sober. Don't get caught up in illusions. Don't get caught up in deception. Keep your wits. Like Paul told Timothy, keep your head in all things. Why? So that you can pray. So that you can dig. Because listen, ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a time right now where people need water. People are thirsty. There's a lot of debt. There's a lot of decay. And what's interesting is this word pray, it does not mean praying in the synagogue. It's actually a different word that's used here. It means praying outside of the synagogue, which normally would be along riverbanks or, or on the shore of the sea, kind of in everyday life. And I thought, how amazing 
is that when we get alone with God and let him wash us with his word so we can keep our minds sound, so that we can be sober and alert, so that we can continue to dig in a time, in a, in a, in a season of famine where people are thirsty, where people are hungry. And, and so, so Peter's urging us, he's, he's saying pray, because can I just tell you, Mission Church, what God wants to do here and what God wants to do in the Bay Area I'm so glad we live here. I know a lot of people are moving, but we're planted. We just bought a home by the grace of God. Like we're, we're planting roots because we believe that we are living in such an hour that, that, that what God wants to do, though, is supernatural. What God wants to do and what God is doing here at uh, Mission Church, it's supernatural, meaning it's going to be impossible for God. It's, let me say this. It's going to be impossible for us to experience all that God has apart from prayer apart from digging, because what God wants to do is supernatural. So make sure prayer has a place in your life and make sure you have a place for prayer. Let's dig. Let me, let me close out with this. A couple of quick things. Dallas Willard says it this way. God will, generally speaking, not compete for our attention if we will not withdraw from the things that obsess and exhaust us and go into solitude and silence, he will usually leave us to our own devices. Can I just say, can we start to obsess over getting alone with God? Can we start to obsess with, while the world is, is, is just really frantic and anxious and, and, and distracted and torn about, as a follower of Jesus, man, we're countercultural. We should be more at peace. We should be finding you know, places where we're, where, where we're getting alone, we're hearing from God, we're digging deep, some deep wells, we're digging some old wells, because God wants us to dig some new ones. But first, we, we got to get back to the things of old. I believe God wants to do a new thing, but in an old way. So let me just invite you to, to consider sp spending some time with the Lord today, or maybe this week, and just I want you to bring these three questions to the Lord. Just First of all, just say, Lord, bend me. Just like Evan Roberts, bend me, Lord. Shape me, mold me, however you, whatever you want to do in my life. Bend me and give me a heart for revival. Help me to see dead things and break my heart for it. Help me to see people, um, lives that, that are hurting and broken. Help me to see beyond the surface. And give me a heart of, that, that, that wants to dig. Give me a heart for revival. Number two, I want you to, to bring this before the Lord. Just ask the Lord, say, what distractions am I not seeing and realities I'm avoiding that are keeping me from your best? What, what am I distracted by? I might not even see because I'm distracted. And what realities have I been avoiding? Maybe they're too painful to deal with. Maybe, you know, I, I, I just, there's been some fear. Maybe you just haven't known. Maybe there's some things that you've been avoiding that God wants to deal with so you can experience his best. I don't know what that is, but he does. So let's bring that before the Lord. And then number three is, is what disciplines do I need? What disciplines do I need? to make prayer a priority. I think sometimes we set goals and a lot of times we don't hit it because we don't have the disciplines in place that get us there. And I don't know what disciplines you need. I know the disciplines that God is working with me on. Why? Because I brought it before the Lord, just like, God, what are the areas that I need to be more disciplined in? Or, or what type of discipline do I need? Is it a morning routine? Is it an evening routine? Like, what, what, do I, what disciplines do I need in my life to make prayer a priority. Mission Church, I believe that God is 
doing something very special in our region. And you're a key part of that. And so can I just invite you and remind you that God wants to do a new thing in an old way. That, that prayer is the primary tool that, that digs up the wells, that digs through the dirt to release the water. And, and I, I want to invite you to, to, to just ask the Lord just a few things and say, God, would you use me however you see fit? I want to dig again and again and again. That water would be released, that you would be glorified, that, that we would not just experience from salvation to restoration, to transformation, to renewal, to revival, to awakening. God, would you awaken our hearts? Would you awaken this land to the beauty and the majesty of Jesus? I believe God is gonna do something special, but remember, it's supernatural. So together, I wanna just, man, we're gonna dig, and we're in it with you. We're praying for you. Please be praying for us as we stand shoulder to shoulder and reach this greater bay. Let me pray for you, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. Thank you for Mission Church. And there may be some watching right now that don't know you. Their first prayer is salvation, is to, to come to know you personally. You said it very clear that if we confess you, Jesus, with our mouth that, that, that you are the Lord of our life and believe in our heart that you died and rose from the dead, that we would be saved. And so maybe you need to confess and believe today. Man, just, just a simple prayer, just say, Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm turning from my sin. I ask you to forgive me for my sin and I'm turning to you. I'm letting go of the reins of my life and I'm confessing you as the Lord of my life. I give you everything I surrender today. Lord, save me, restore me, transform me, that I would be used as an instrument of revival. I love you so much, Mission Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.